Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and I apologize. It sounds like uh, the intro, it was a little sick tonight, so I had to cut it off a second or two early. Um, welcome to the show. We've uh, had some technical issues uh, almost right up to the last minute, so we're, we're lucky actually to be live tonight, but uh, glad that we are, and, and appreciate, as always, uh, you folks for, for tuning in. Got a great show tonight. Uh, Coach's Corner is back, and I've got two great professionals coming on, Bill Abrams, and uh, Pete Buchanan, I'm going to give you the, the skinny on both of them here in just a second. Um, they're going to be joining me here in just a moment or two. And then a little bit later in, in the show, on the second half of the show, I've got uh, two great uh, co-authors of a, of a really interesting book called So You Want to Play Golf, uh, Rick Wolfel and uh, Kim Varecchio. And uh, they're going to be co- coming me uh, on the show in the second half and uh, going to have some interesting discussion with them about not only about their book, but just golf in general. Um, but thank you for, for tuning into the program tonight. As always, we are live uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Thursday evenings. Just go to blogtalkradio.com and up in the search key type Golf Talk Live, and that will take you to the main page. And obviously the uh, live broadcast will be front and center. Uh, but for some reason, if you're not able to join me on the live show on Thursday evenings, not to worry. Just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live or just type Golf Talk Live in the search key and just scroll down to the on-demand section and you can listen to the uh, previously aired shows uh, in their entirety uh, during the recorded version, which will be located on the on-demand section. So just scroll down the page a little bit until you find the show that you want. But again, thank you for those uh, tuning in live tonight. I always appreciate it. If you want to call in during the live broadcast, uh, you're always welcome to do so. The number is area code 646-716-4667. Uh, or you can email questions or comments to me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Always love to hear from you. And you can also get updates on social media. Go to facebook.com uh, forward slash golf talk live blog. Make sure you have blog on the end and make sure you like the page if you haven't already done so. Uh, always update the programs there as well as my personal page and then also on Twitter and LinkedIn. My Twitter handle is Ted and Buck CEO. CEO is in capital letters and thank you for all of the uh, recent followers. I appreciate that as well. Always updated on there. And uh, as I said, on LinkedIn.com, you can go to my personal page there. It's Ted Odorico, and it's O-D-O-R-I-C-O, and uh, you'll see some of the updates there as well. Uh, as I mentioned, I've got a great coach's corner tonight. Two, uh, two wonderful professionals have joined me here on the eve of the first um, round of the Masters uh, Tournament for 2017. And uh, one of the guests is going to give us a little bit of an update uh, on that, uh, where things sit right now for Thursday uh, in just a moment. But let me, uh, let me introduce these guys and get them on the show. Uh, first up is Bill Abrams. He's a PGA professional and owner and director of instruction uh, for Golf Solutions Academy at the uh, Balmoral Woods Crate, Illinois, and also the Carolina Club in Margate, Florida. Uh, you can also find him there as well. Uh, Pete Buchanan as well is on the show. He's been on here many, many times, uh, one of my favorite guests. Uh, he's founder and director of instruction and owner of Plain Simple Golf 
which houses the plain simple golf circuit and simple swing uh, repeater training brace. And he's been teaching for the last 30 years, helping all of you guys out there improve your golf swing. So thanks, guys. Uh, welcome, Pete and Bill, to the show. Thanks for having us, Ted. Appreciate it very much. Great being here. Absolutely. Same here, Ted. All right. Appreciate it, guys, as always. Um, let's, uh, as I mentioned, we're going to talk just a little bit here first off before we get into some of the, the questions tonight, and I'll, I'll sort of lay the ground uh, rules, if you will, since we're going to be talking about rules a little bit tonight. Um, but, but, Bill, you, you were giving us sort of a little bit of an update on the Masters, what's been happening. Obviously, we've had some bad weather coming in here the last few days, and uh, you know, it looked like it was on a little bit shaky grounds, but nevertheless, they've got the first round off today. Um, give us an update on, on some of the, the, the key uh, players that are uh, in the top ten. Yeah, it's uh, right now Charlie Hoffman just went on fire and shot 65 today. Um, I listened to Mickelson a little bit after his post-round interview, and he said the greens were very receptive despite the wind and appeared they were probably not running quite as fast due to the wind, but uh, they didn't mow them quite as tight. But it was uh, pretty surprising that Hoffman shot 65 today. But then we've got uh, William McGirt at 3-under, Lee Westwood 2-under, and then all at 1-under, Kip Henley, Kevin Chappell, um, Patrick or Sullivan, I can't remember his name, from uh, Andy Sullivan from Great Britain, uh, Fitzpatrick, Mickelson, Rose, Duffner, and Garcia all shot 1-under today, and they're in the clubhouse. So it's pretty well bunched up with the exception of Hoffman. Wow. And a lot of, uh, a lot of obviously, young guys. Mickelson, obviously, uh, is a little more of a veteran of the game. But uh, some, some newer, I uh, won't say newer, but younger players uh, certainly making a, a run for it early. But things can change, as, as we all know. Uh, it's only Thursday, the first round, so we've got plenty of golf left in the Masters, and anything can happen uh, at Augusta National. And especially if the wind uh, stays the way it was today. I know here uh, in Florida, in, in the northwest part of Florida, we had some gusts today upwards of about 40 miles an hour at times. So it uh, can make for some, some very interesting uh, golf over the next two or three days. Um, yeah. Pete, did you get a chance at all to, to tune in? I did just a little bit. Um, I was, you know, I, I watched uh, Jordan on, on uh, one of the par fives, Jordan Spieth, unfortunately. I think he made a nine. Um, kind of played tennis back and forth uh, over the green. Uh, but pitched his first one in there. So, you know, the wind the wind can play a little bit of havoc. The guys are, you know, trying to flight them lower, stay out of the wind, trying to put themselves, you know, sometimes in these par fives and, and uh, you know, third shots where they normally are not. And so it's just a little bit different scenario for them. And um, well, there's some great shots going on. And, you know, it's your, it's your typical Masters. You know, you, you've got a 65 out there out in front. But, you know, the rest of them are all bunched up together, so it looks like it's going to be, be quite a battle, especially if, uh, if the wind does stay up. Yeah, well said. And, and you know, the other thing, just real quickly, um, you know, it, it was announced earlier, obviously, uh, Dustin Johnson, as we were talking about off-air, uh, unfortunately had a, an accident uh, in, in the cabin uh, there at Augusta National the other night. Uh, and it was kind of touch and go as to what was going to happen. I kind of suspected he was going to withdraw. And, and Bill, you had mentioned he did, uh, in fact, withdraw. Is that correct? Yes, yes, he did. I guess it happened uh, just momentarily before he was ready to tee off, and they said his, he had banged his elbow and his lower back pretty hard. Apparently was wearing socks on a wooden floor and slipped and <laughs> around 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon and just not enough ice and time to let it recuperate. So, Yeah. You know, you hate you, you hate being in you know Pete. You hate being in his position, 
you know, coming in with as, as good as he's been playing here of late, uh, especially early in the season and even uh, towards the end of last season, and to come into a big tournament like this and literally, um, you know, get taken out before you get a chance to even tee it up. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, they've they got the future to look forward to. So he's got to protect himself, you know, to go out and, and, and not be 100% and, and maybe, you know, do some, some more damage. You know, he probably weighed the the options and just thought, you know, I better I better heal myself up and, and uh, look forward to the next one. Yeah, and, and well said. And and you know that that's so true. I mean, you you hate like like heck to 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 have to get out of a tournament, especially something like the Masters. I mean, they look forward to this uh, every year. All of the players do. And and uh, you know, to be in a position that that he has been in here, like I said, just playing some phenomenal golf. Um, right. You know, you, you almost wish that it, you know you were you were getting out because of bad weather or something. At least. It'd be, I think, a little easier pill to swallow. But to have to injure yourself like that, you know, he's probably beating himself up inside a little bit. Um, you know, just thinking to himself, well, I should have uh, had a little, uh, little something on the bottom of those socks to, to stick it up. But anyways, um, it, it is what it is. And, and uh, you know, as I said, he, the main thing is he he gets well and and uh, is it gets tournament ready for uh, for down the road. All right, guys, I want to talk to. You know, as I mentioned to you off air, one of the things that, you know, we haven't really done a lot of uh, discussion on the show about rules. And, uh, and as I mentioned to you, we're not going to get into specific rules, but I would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about, uh, about this young lady. Uh, as most of you know, and for those of you that haven't uh, heard, um, you've probably been living in a cave somewhere. Uh, but Lexi Thompson uh, from the LPGA uh, incurred a four-stroke penalty here uh, in the uh, tournament here just last week. And uh, it's it's kind of unheard of, really. Normally, you know, you might get assessed a two-stroke or one-stroke, but four-stroke, especially when you're in the lead, um, as she was, and uh, ultimately, you know, it, it cost her the tournament. My, my question is this, and Pete, I'm going to go to you first, uh, and then Bill, just to get your thoughts here as we open up the discussion. Um, is it fair? Or do you think it was too harsh? And we're going to get into specifics in a little bit, so don't get too far afield. But just your your gut reaction is it is it a fair penalty? Do you think, given the circumstances, uh, or do you think it was maybe too harsh? Well, I think the first part of the of the penalty was correct. Obviously, you know, if you look at the replay, the ball wasn't placed back in the same spot, and you know, and, and how many times it happens similar to that to a round that nobody sees, you know, nobody knows, but it just happens to be the situation. The ball wasn't quite replaced where it was. I can see the, the penalty for that, but you know, in, in that particular case with, with nothing being said with today's groupings where you have rules officials and you've got scores and everybody and cameras and all that stuff, you know, once she signed the card, you know, there was, there was no intent there to sign it for an incorrect score, which where the other two came from. And so, to me, right. I, I think it should have just been two. And, um, you know, right. she wasn't aware of, of any kind of penalty. So, I think it should have been two. That's it. Let's move on and, and go from there. But to, to add the other two, you know, I, I that, one's, that one's a little bit beyond me. But, um, you know, I, I guess in, in the situation they had to weigh it all out. But, um, you know, that's, that, I thought it was a little bit harsh to do four. Yeah I, yeah, I agree, and we're going to talk. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk in a, in, a, in a moment specifically um, why it was such a, t- a tough pill for her to swallow. Um, but 
you you concur with that as well, Bill? On that, just yeah, it, it, was, it was it was it was. I don't think the 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 whole. I still have a problem with people calling in. Um, you know, again, I saw there was another angle that you saw from the other side, and it appeared that everything was in it, set. When we go to set a ball back down, there's heel prints. There's it's not a perfect surface like a pool table. And I'd like to I'd like right. to know if I could put a, a video on how many people have actually done that in that event on that day. You know, again, it's as a fellow competitor and haven't been playing before. If I see somebody put it down in the wrong spot, I'll say something right there. Um, sure. You know, the policing is 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 all in us, and and I feel that you know even with the high speed high def video, I don't know, even know if you get the right thing. And, and Pete will probably say this too when you're videoing players. And your camera isn't uh, isn't stable. It, it's I, I'm not saying that she was right, wrong, or indifferent. It definitely appeared that it could have been a, a potential idea. Is there 51 yeah. percent of the evidence there? When you looked at the flip side of it the next day, without the shadows and the grain from uh, grainy video from the other side, it looked like she put it down in the same spot. So I, you know, it's a it's a very tricky slope that we're coming down here now, and it's been happening for 30 years since Craig Stadler um, had his issue at Torrey Pines years ago, where he kneeled on a towel so he, uh, you know, so he didn't muddy up his trousers when he was playing a uh, playing a shot. Um, I just. Yeah. I feel that that all the uh, the officiating should happen from within, and um, you know it's getting to be a. I feel a little bit egregious with the way that they're handling these things. I would be okay with a video official in the truck, but then again, let's use this scenario. Say a player is way far back in the pack, seven eight shots back. They come out and shoot 62 that day. Nobody mm-hmm. sees them. They do the same thing on the ninth hole, and the cameras aren't out there for them yet. What you know now, protecting the field goes both directions. If you yep. uh, understand my logic on it, and I it just I feel that 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 whole you know the whole idea with with people scouring these videos trying to find something wrong. Let's try to find out what's right. I mean, that's to me is, yep. is a much better way to go with it. Well, and and you're you're exactly right. Well said, both of you. Um, the other issue too is. Um, where you run into to a little bit of an issue um, is camera angles. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you could have a, a camera one angle, as you pointed out here just a moment ago, Bill, where it, it may be clear and present what has gone on, but you may also have another camera angle that is, is a little bit sketchy. So, you know, you run into that issue. Uh, you also, um, you know, get into a situation where, um, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, but uh, about uh, a timing uh, of when to assess these penals, penalties. When, when, is, you know, when, is, when is the opportunity still available and open for the rules officials to step in and say, okay, hey, look, you've violated rule XYZ. Um, we have to assess you a penalty. And when should the door be closed um, and, and you know, let it lie as it may. Um, so that's something we're going to talk about here in a second. But I, I want to go back to the player herself. Um, you know, I, I would say that probably 99.9, there's always going to be somebody out there, but I would say probably 99.9% of the people were very supportive uh, for Lexi in this particular uh, issue. Um, but I want to get your opinions, uh, and, and Pete, I'm going to start with you again, um, how you felt she handled it, given the, the circumstances, and 
should she have disputed it? Um, certainly, as you both pointed out, the first part of it, I think, was, was very apparent. Uh, she did certainly violate the rule. But what about the second part, uh, the additional two-stroke penalty, given the circumstances that took place? Did she handle it well? Uh, should she have disputed it? Uh, or was she right in just accepting it and, and moving on? What, what's your thoughts on that, Pete? Well, due to the timing of when they told her, I thought she handled herself beautifully. Um, you know, she still had holes to play, um, still had work to do, and, you know, she had to get back to business. Uh, you know, I, I do agree with her. She says, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, I agree with that, too. Um, but, no, I, I, I thought she handled herself perfectly well. Um, it, it's such a, a, a tough situation to have to have that put on you right in the middle of the round. You know, it leads back to what you were talking before. You know, if they don't find anything after the scorecards have been done and before they start the next round, nobody should be able to tell them anything. So my question, again, would be when when did they find this out? I mean, did somebody call in when she was on number 10? I mean, it's just it's right. just ludicrous when they went out and did this. But, no, I, I thought she handled herself with grace. Um, I thought she she – you know, more than anything else has gained a tremendous amount of more fans for how she handled herself. And, you know, the fact that she was talking, she didn't want, you know, it, it to take anything away from, you know, the champion. And, and that's true. Um, and as far as disputing it, I mean, that's a tough thing to do. Not right then, not right there. I mean, it's just, it's too hard to do. I mean, the shocking news sure. to get it. I mean, her mind is going sideways now trying to figure out, okay, now I was up to, now I'm down to, now what do I have to do to finish this thing out? And so, yeah, um, you just accept it and go on. Yeah, and, and Bill, that that Pete raises a very interesting issue uh, or point right here. Um, you know, being able to move on. I mean, this is you know, it's one thing to get assessed a two-stroke penalty. That's a hard enough pill to swallow. But now you've got four strokes, uh, and you're you know within a you had a two-shot lead. Now all of a sudden you're a two-shot deficit, and you're trying to catch up with some holes to play. But um, you know, that puts her in a very precarious position. Mentally, that's got to be tough for a player. I don't care what caliber oh. of player you are. That's got to be tough. Um, share some thoughts on that. Absolutely. And I, uh, I did throw a tweet out that champions, uh, champions stand up and get the job done, and that's exactly what she did. Um, despite the, the adverse scenario, she stood up, she got the job done, she birdies the next hole, and... Um, Darn near makes eagle on the last hole, and I think in the playoff her emotions just she just ran out. I mean it was just the gas ran out of the tank, and you know that was that was probably the end of it. Um, I think that uh, you know one of the, the factors that we haven't seen is not only how she handles it, but how her fellow competitors handled it. it right. Go back if you can look at the tape. I really paid special notice to Suzanne Pedersen. It bothered her. Yes. There is no doubt right. about it. She hit some just wayward, awful, horrible shots. She wouldn't admit it, but she was she was upset about it too. And I think that's one of the things we have to be very cautious of when you do get a, a unique situation like this, unless there's a um just a uh, just an absolute disdain for the rules and an intentional uh, moving a ball or something, keep it at two. Because I, I feel that it's not only that player, but the other the other players in the field that are near her, it can have an effect on them as well. I mean, and not a positive sure. effect either. Uh, it can be really a negative effect because nobody wants to be known as the one that won the championship because of a. And again, not a questionable call, but the timing and the and the procedure that was used, I think, is more questionable than anything else. 
Yeah, and you're exactly right. And that brings me into this next question. It's really sort of a two-part uh, question, if you will. Um, the first part being, um, should there be a time limit for players to be penalized? You kind of alluded to this, both of you, but um, in an example, 24 hours, 48 hours uh, you know, after the infraction. Now, obviously, once the round or once the tournament is over, uh, you know, it, it's a done deal. But um, you know, you've got four rounds in, in most tournaments, except for, I think, on the Champions uh, Tour. I think it's only three rounds. But um, you know, if you're in round one and you're the leader and suddenly, uh, and this is what essentially happened with, with Lexi here is, you know, it was not, uh, the tournament wasn't over yet. And, uh, it was 24, basically 24 hours after the infraction occurred when, when they notified her that, Hey, you know, you're going to lose, uh, two strokes for, for the infra rules infraction, but also for signing an incorrect store card, we're going to assess another two uh, two strokes as well. So we're hitting you with four strokes. Um, what about the timing issue um, about this? Should there be a cutoff time um, in that given day? Or um, what, should, what should the, uh, I guess, the, the mark be? Bill, I'm going to let you go first and Pete jump in. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's, we already have the provisions with the stipulated round, and I feel that that probably would be the easiest way for the um, – the ruling bodies to go. Once the round is complete, it's complete, it's done, it's in the books. With the only exception is if there was an egregious error. When I mean a very intentional thing, and we've in, in professional golf, um, they have been marked with. There's been some cheaters in time, and you know before television and everything. There, in the old days, there were some people that had a reputation of that ball marker would jump around a little bit and this and that. But yeah. the, the fellow players <laughs> knew who that was. They knew who that was, right. and their reputation was poor, and karma somehow got them. So my point is, let it go. You know, once that round is over, let it go. Let's play by the rules. And, you know, without the, without the intervention of television, you know, there, there, would be, there wouldn't be any of these cases. And, you know, television's a wonderful media to grow the game and to see it. But also at the point, it's not there to, to judge or criticize what's going on. Right. Um, you know, you're exactly right. Um, Pete, I want you to, to respond to that question as well, but then I want to throw in this uh, a little bit of a twist. Um, you know, this day and age with, with some of the purses uh, being what they are, there's a lot of money riding on the, these tournaments. Um, you know, as, as Bill just pointed out, you know, if it's within, um, you know, the, the, the active part of the, of the round, that's one thing, but if it's happening, you know, several hours after or even the next day before it's assessed, um, is it fair? Uh, and does the, the tournament officials need to keep in mind that these player, players are, are playing, uh, you know, it could be the difference of 10, 20, 30, 50, even maybe as much as $100,000 swing. And that's not to, you know, I'm not trying to say that, that uh, you know, they shouldn't uh, be assessed these penalties if they're fair. But given the circumstances of this particular situation, uh, this cost Lexi some money. And, uh, you know, is it fair? Well, for the first part, to me, um, and I think Bill touched on it before, you've got to let these groups police themselves. That's the way it's always been. And I can bet you her playing partners on Saturday, probably when they heard about it, said, I didn't even notice that. Are you kidding me? Right. Um, so let them police themselves when the round is over. And I would say this, if you want to put a time frame on it, once they tee off the next day, um, we're done. 
there's no going back, you know. And, but I like it uh, also what Bill said. When the scorecard, when it's in the books, it's in the books. It's done. It's over. You know, there's a rules official with every group. There's, there's people policing every group. They ought to be able to find these things. And if it's egregious, if it's a big one, they'll see it, you know, and then it should be dealt with at that particular time. But on the second part, as far as, you know, the the, the money, yeah, they're playing for a lot of money. And, and you know, I'm – in this particular case, I think they should – no one should be able to call in and, and do anything. I think they should have no person calling in, nobody having a video they captured and send it in. I think, you know what, just let it go. They, nobody should be able to do it. They have their own cameras, and by God, if they can't find it themselves, then just leave it alone. Um, we don't need these people coming in and interrupting what's going on with these tournament officials and what they're doing. Just let that go. There should be nobody be able to call in to do anything. That, that's the first thing I'd like to see them eliminate. And and secondly, with a lot of money, um, in this particular case, four was too many. Yeah, you're right. It cost her a lot of money. Two strokes, she wins. Four strokes, she yep. second. So mm-hmm. I, I don't agree right. with the four-stroke penalty at all. I, I think that was not only the timing of what they did, but to make it four strokes. I mean, somebody had to have some common sense in that committee, I would think. And to go four strokes to me was, um, you know, when she signed the card, it was correct. So, you know, it wasn't. And if I could add in here, it's entering a dangerous precedent here, allowing this to happen. All the years before we had the heavy-duty coverage, there was never any problems, like where where somebody would make a claim later on that somebody, you know, dropped in the wrong this, that, or the other. They may have done that, but it wasn't to the level where we're, you know, we're trying to be perfect, but golf courses are imperfect and people are imperfect. And there's certain things you try to put the ball back down in a heel print, like I said. Right. You may think you're putting it in the right spot, and it just settles in some place you can't mm. get it to settle there. I'm not saying that she tried this or tried, but you know I'm trying to be a realist about this. And I just think if we allow this president to keep going on, it's going to have an adverse effect on on the game because now you're going to get millions of people calling in. And I just I think that that's bad, bad, bad. We've always policed ourselves in our own groups. And with our rules officials, if there was a question, people will bring it up. I mean, I've been a fellow competitor, and, you know, somebody was doing something incorrectly, and I mentioned it to them. And, you know, it's as simple as that. And that's, that's how the game works. It works with honor that way. And that's where it's different from other, yeah. other sports. Right, you're you're exactly right, and and I think as you pointed out earlier, you know, in the past there there's certainly been some individuals um, that maybe have not played uh, in the most honorable fashion, but the, their fellow competitors knew who they were, they knew what to watch for, and and uh, you know ultimately it affected them down down the line. But you know, I, I think what just to to sort of throw my two cents, and if you will, I think what I would like to see number one. Um, just because certainly there is the, the advancement of technology, I would like to see um, maybe a, a, a few extra rules officials uh, out on the golf course, but also uh, in viewing what the cameras are seeing uh, and letting them make that decision, let them make that call, maybe a few extra rules official in that category. And, and as far as the timing is concerned, I don't have an, an issue. I'm going to agree just a little bit with you guys. I don't have an issue after um, – after the round has been completed, as long as it is within a reasonable time frame. I mean, if they have to review, um, if, if there's been some question about an issue and they have to review it, um, and maybe the round has already been closed, I think as long as the player is notified within a timely fashion, and again, they have to put a time limit on it, um, and certainly, definitely before they tee off the next day. 
Um, but if they're coming the next day and sort of blindsiding a player like this um, based on a phone-in, it raises another issue. Um, and, and this was something I, I talked with, funny enough, my, uh, my guess is going to be com- coming on a little bit later on in the show. Very interesting issue, and I'd kind of like to just get some brief thoughts on this. If they're going to allow individuals to call in or text in or email in whatever fashion because they've witnessed something on online or on camera, what's this to prevent somebody that has uh, an ulterior motive from calling a, a rules violation on a player, um, maybe because they don't like that player? Um, I'm going to leave that open to either one of you to jump in. So Pete or, or uh, Bill. Yeah, I'll say I'll... in this particular case, go ahead, Bill. Take go, go ahead, Pete. Go, 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 go. Well, I say it's easy. Eliminate it. And now, yeah. now you don't have that problem. You shouldn't be able to call in. It's just done. It, it, you don't accept it. I think that has to be the rule. Nobody else from the outside you know, sitting there watching it on TV should be able to, to call or say anything about it. And that, that just takes care of the whole thing. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I agree. Go ahead, Bill. I, I can see too. And, and not to say that it's unsavory, but you know, and, and we know there's, there's pools and online gambling and, you know, vested interests in certain things that that's, I mean that now that opens a whole new specter up. If somebody calls in because they think they see something it just, I just, I think you play the game, and how how the cards fall, they do. If the player accepts a penalty, they'll take it. But as we said, Ted, you got to take it prior to the teeing off the next round. Once once that ball, once you're called to the tee, it's over. There's no more going back. I, I really think that that's uh, you're absolutely correct. If somebody could have an ulterior motive and call in. You'd like to think that isn't what's happening, but we see that we've seen that in other instances over the years where you know people try to stir something up that isn't there right and and you know the other thing too you don't see this in in most other sports certainly they have the ability for an instant replay uh you know that you would see whether it be the super bowl or uh nba championship or something along that caliber or in the world series they certainly have if there if there's an issue um, they have that ability, but again, it's, it's limited to the rules officials. You're not seeing right. in other major sports, you're not seeing somebody calling in and saying, Hey, you know, Bob over here has done that. Or Pete over here has done that. Um, no offense, Pete. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you're not, you're not seeing, uh, that happening. So it, it, it begs to the question this, um, and I, I think you guys probably both answered this. Should we all become what has been affectionately termed as armchair warriors and call in every time we see a rules violation should that be allowed or should it be banned banned well, i think yeah 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 i mean you can call in but it shouldn't have any it shouldn't have any residual effect on what the officials do from that point right Right, and, and before obviously social media and, and you know instant replay, even fans didn't take part. And and, and obviously uh, there are uh, you know issues on the golf course where occasionally uh, if if a ball you know crosses a, a lateral hazard or, or something, sometimes they they will refer or defer to uh, fans in that general area. To, to get right. their opinion as to where they, and, and that makes sense. I understand because they're, they're yeah. there, they're, they're witnessing it. 
um, and and the rules official is engaging uh, and, and controlling that situation. So in a situation like that, I can see. But again, as you both have, have um, alluded to, you get somebody that's calling in. You don't know what their motive is. You don't know. I mean, it could be uh, a competitive, uh, you know, a, a friend or something of one of the other competitors, uh, you know. And it may not even necessarily not be a, uh, a necessarily an infraction. It may be just to jam them up a little bit. Uh, you know, if, if suddenly they've got to come over and investigate – that throws that player off off their game a little bit because now they've mm-hmm. got to take note of that. So there's a lot of issues that come into play there. So I, I think uh, I agree with both of you. Now let's get to um, let's get to our, our our amateurs out there and and some of our students. Uh, obviously, we know that most of our students uh, don't dive deep into the rules book. Uh, most of them probably have a little pocket rules book that they might carry with them and and certainly try to adhere to the rules, but what is our obligation as instructors slash coaches slash you know teaching professionals, however we want to phrase it? Um, do we need to ensure that our students understand the rules of golf and to what uh, capacity? How much do we need to educate them on some of the rules uh, or do we just simply hand them a rules book and say, have at it and read it up when you can? Um, Bill, what's what's our responsibility um, as, as I think it's I think it's it's a big advantage to players um, knowing the rules and one of the things that I see, especially for my competitive players, are in Illinois our Junior Golf Association has a rules quiz every year that the players have to take. Um, I think that's wonderful. It's open book because the rules are open book. You can use it and sure. learning how to use it is a big is a big key. And our our Chicago District Golf Association does rules seminars all the time. Um, one funny story, when Annika had the problem in the, um, uh, in the match play of the Solheim Cup where she hold the putt and Pat Bradley had her replace the ball and play in turn, when that big hubbub, the next year in Orlando, yep. the first rules um, seminar she was at. I mean, that'll, that'll tell you something there, it, because the rules can help you as much as hurt you. They'll help you more right. than they hurt you, and I impress this to my players that, you know, and we'll go out when we do playing lessons, we'll do situations. I'll throw a ball down someplace. Okay, what do we do here? How's that work? Or what happens if you hit it here? And, you know, just to do an on, on-site quiz, because I think that's even better when you have it in a situation on the golf course. You may show them a relief situation or, or a way to avoid a, a more stern penalty by understanding the rule book. Right, and, and I agree with that. Pete, what about your, your thoughts on that? A good idea as, as coaches not that we engage our students? I mean, again, obviously we don't necessarily have to uh, go through every single rule, um, but we want to encourage them to, to certainly be knowledgeable of, of some of the more common ones that they're going to be faced with or some that they may you know, never be faced with or very seldomly faced with, but there are some common ones um, along the way. Is it a good idea to uh, educate our, our students, as, as Bill's talking about here, and, and to what length should we go? Well, I totally agree that, you know, the rules can help you, um, you know, and, and it's definitely an advantage to know them. And I think they should read the book. I mean, it's, it's, you know, all of our juniors, we had the, the same as they were talking about when uh, I, I don't do as much of an organized in a junior format as I, as I did when I was a kid and also growing up and teaching some of the junior programs, but they always had to, had to take a rules quiz. Um, you know, it was mandatory before they could play. They needed to know the, the rules. So, um, you know, we, we gave them those tests and, and had them, you know, not only uh, read the rule book, but as Bill said, too, it's a great, 
great thing to take them out on the golf course and just show them situations because it, you, you never know what's going to happen. Um, and I, I can remember taking some rules tests, and I'm like, I don't even know if you could even get in this situation from what they described, but you're in it. And how do you how do you deal <laughs> yeah. with it? Um, right, you know, right. I remember some of those rules tests. I'm like, oh, goodness gracious, how could you ever hit one here? Um, but, you know, you have to deal with it. So uh, it is a, a huge advantage. I remember distinctly, I remember Seve one time, was trying to get relief he was going to hit a shot near the green there was a bush and so he says well i'm going to hit it left-handed and hitting it left-handed i have to stand on the cart path so i need to get relief so the rules official had to determine does he have the ability to hit it left-handed he said yes so when they let him drop it he was able to hit it right-handed so i mean he un- understood you know exactly what was going on there and where mm-hmm. he could move the ball and i said is that fair i said yes fair. it's well within the rules i mean he he took advantage of that situation because he knew what was going on so you know, you, you need to know them. Um, you know, I don't think you have to go through the decisions book because that'll drive you nuts trying to figure oh, that stuff agreed. out. But um, you can certainly <laughs> find some things in there. But um, yeah, the basic rules. I mean, there's even things. When you said that, I just went online and pulled up the rules of golf, and there's one here. It says 17 golf rules you definitely need to know. I mean, what a great place to start. You know, so there's yep. some things you can find to to break it down to make it easier. But yeah, definitely should teach them the rules. It's it's, it's they need to know them not only to speed up play, but uh, also just for the advantage of, of knowing what to do. Well, and that, that was going to be really part of my next uh, lead in um, Pete. So thank you. Um, oh, is, sorry. is, is, is that, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm just joking. Um, it is, is the speed of play. You know, there, there's been a lot of criticism over, uh, you know, the last uh, several decades. I mean, it's been an ongoing thing. Um, a lot of courses have, have, you know, gotten after some of their members as well as, uh, you know, um, occasional players that, that come into their courses um, about slow play. And one of the reasons, not the only reason, um, is a, an inept ability, ability to understand the rules and, and what a player needs to do. I mean, you know, you need to be, you, need to be, uh, you know, golf ready, if you will, um, you need to be ready in, in position to, to hit your shot when it's your turn. Um, and a lot of people aren't, you know, a, a lot of times, and I'm sure we've all seen this where, you know, especially on a lot of the courses now that require um, uh, or insist on having golf carts, um, you know, you'll see a, a group and one guy will be sitting his fanny in the golf cart and, you know, he's next up and he's not even thinking about what club he's going to hit. He's just sitting there gawking around or texting on his cell phone uh, and he's not ready to play. And he, you know, he's clearly not got his head in the game. So, you know, his, his playing partners now hit a shot and here's this, you know, guy got to get off his cart and got to go up to assess his ball. So, you know, speed of play is, can be greatly enhanced by having a better understanding of the rules uh, as well. And, and I mean, there's a a million rules out there, obviously. uh, And, and we're certainly not suggesting that you have to uh, adhere to every single one of them and understand them like, uh, like the Bible, but at the same time, I think you have to have, as, as you just pointed out, Pete, you have to have a general understanding of the rules uh, if you're going to play this game. Uh, fair assessment? Absolutely. I, I I can't agree with you more on that, having a fair idea of it. And I, I get that question a lot from people, well, it's just too complicated. Really, the rule book isn't complicated. What is, I always refer to players to read the definitions first, get get comfortable with the definitions, Absolutely. then the rest of the rule book makes a lot of sense. The ends, buts, or ors 
become a lot easier. The shalls and the maze and the must become much easier to understand when you know what a ball at motion is and a ball at rest. But that so many times, you know, people go right to the meat of the book and don't study the. the and I tell them if there's one part of the book that you want to read and memorize, memorize the re, the uh, definitions. Then the rest of it makes sense when you pull it up. Uh, well, I totally agree with that. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I always say too to to you know some of my students, I always say if if you know, as a professional, if we're scratching our head with the ands, buts, and ors, you can bet you're going to scratch your head. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're right. You know, it, you know the, the rules can be challenging and difficult sometimes to understand, or uh, especially if it's a rule that you're not uh, faced with, um, you know, as frequent as some of the other ones, but uh, some of the more common ones. But I, I think it is good, and I think it's good that, that we – uh, and I like that they they do offer uh, seminars for those. And I and I strongly encourage for those of you tuning into the show that if you haven't uh, attended one, uh, you know, contact your local professional and and uh, and and find out where they're, you know, if they're if they've got some seminars coming up in that about rules, and and, and attend one um, because I think it, it's going to help you. Or as Pete did, you know, he and you want to make sure you get it from a, a credible source, of course, uh, but you can. Uh, through a Google search or, or uh, uh, an internet search, you can certainly bring up um, the, the rules right there and just take a, a few moments and go over them. You don't have to read through the whole book the same day, um, but certainly get familiar with, with some of the rules out there. Um, guys, I know that we're starting to, and, and I'm going to change uh, topics here a little bit. Uh, we're we're kind of having an open discussion tonight, so we're not really hard and fast with, with anything uh, you know too, too difficult. But I, what I'm going to do is, uh, I'm going to open it up to both of you here and give you an opportunity since we're we're in the uh, early stages for some uh, in the golf season. We're coming up to the spring, and and a lot of golfers are are getting their clubs out from the from the winter months that don't have the opportunity to play all year round uh, like we some of us do here in Florida. Um, so, Pete, I'm going to go with you first. But uh, uh, what are you trying to get some of your students uh, here early in the season to to work on uh, and to focus on? Uh, so they can play some of their best golf uh, throughout the year. Well, what I always like to do is I like to start each new season with a new evaluation, get them out, uh, um, look at their game where it is now, assess what they're doing, um, you know, sort of get a plan for the rest of the year as to as to where we're going to go, where we're going to take it. I always like them to start off right out of the bat with a short game, you know, putting, chipping, pitching, get the little ones down first, you know, get some, some work in those areas because, you know, you might be a little bit rusty on some of the other parts, but, you know, if you can chip it, pitch it, and putt it, you're going to keep your scores down. And so it's a little bit easier to, to get started on some of the smaller things, um, which, you know, get neglected quite a bit. Um, but I, I like to start them all off with, you know, right off the bat, a new evaluation. Let's see where you are. Where do you want to go? You know, what do you want to do with your game this year? And, uh, you know, let's let's put together a plan to make sure we get there. Um, and, you know, coming out of these, these seasons, you know, take it, as I said, take it small, um, get the short game shots going, get the putting going, and, and I think it'll, it'll take them a long ways toward, uh, you know, getting started faster and, and, and uh, enjoying it and playing and having more fun right yeah. off the bat. Yeah, I, I agree. Well said. Um, Bill, I, and, and I'm going to let you uh, offer some of your thoughts as well, but let me just throw a little yeah. bit of a twist in here. Um, what about – building a, a solid pre-shot routine. Uh, you know, a lot of 
players might have had a, a pretty good routine last year, but they've gotten a little rusty, you know, sitting uh, with their club sitting in the garage and they're sitting uh, maybe watching some hockey for those up in the north, uh, east. Uh, for those of us you know, in the or, south or, that like it. <laughs> or uh, so, uh, exactly in the south that like it. Um, so, you know, they've gotten a little rusty and they've gotten out of routine. So right out of the gate, um, you know, and that's something that I think most amateurs really struggle with. They, they're not consistent, as you see many of the pros are, with their pre-shot routine. Right. Is that something important that you want to start off at the beginning of the season with as well, in addition to some of the things that, that Pete just talked about? Absolutely. Um, Ted, and, and that's one of the things that I have uh, my players that, that stay in Chicago and stay north for the winter. They have the opportunity to go to heated tees and domes and things. And those aren't always the best practice areas because of the limited distance that they have and the mats and everything. But one of the things that I ask them to, to spend at least 50% of their time on there and dictate it is the, the pre-shot routine. We have it with the competitive players. I mean, we time the routine. So we have the stopwatch on from a set point how much time that they should uh, use. And if they're short of that time, you can see one miss. If you, they go long, I see another miss. So it's something that, that correlates with it. We need to get that, that routine set to where they, you, know, you get the feet set, they get the balance, maybe one look at the target or the spot line on the ground, and then let the club swing. You take the second or third look, then the then the bad shots start to fly, and I think that's a that's a very under under uh, appreciated part of the game. And people will say, "I'm I'm not good enough for a routine." Well, I'll say, "Well, think about this: when you wake up uh, at a different time than normal, you're going into the office late, you do things out of situation. What's the likelihood that you leave your cell phone, your wallet, um, something at the house, or your briefcase?" Oh, it, it's great. I said, well, think about that. This is the same thing here. We are setting ourselves up for success by doing the same thing continually before every shot. And I think that that's uh, early in the season is, is a great time to work on that in all aspects, from the putting to the chipping to the full swings. Um, you know, and I think one of the other areas that people miss out with is the evaluation of their equipment. We need to refit. We need to check the grips. We need to make sure everything is set to go for the season. And I feel that that's an area some people at times don't pay attention to. So the routine, absolutely. And, um, you know, it goes without saying, like Pete, the setup, getting the little shots working right, but also checking your, your tools. Because if the tools aren't, are ill-fitting or the grips are worn, it's time to get them changed if you want to play your best because you're not going to achieve your goals that we set. Right. Uh, you're exactly right. And, and I think also, too, you know, I remember watching years ago um, Jack Nicholas in his video, uh, Golf My Way. You know, he talked about one of the things that, you know, he liked to do at the beginning of each season, um, you know, and, and that was obviously when she's, she's, golf seasons were a little bit shorter than what they are uh, presently. Um, you know, obviously he, he did play golf and, and uh, you know, and enjoyed some, some uh you know, practice rounds, if you will. But he always made sure that he started the season out working on the fundamentals uh, of golf, you know, working on his, his uh, posture, working on the ball position, working on the grip and, you know, and all other aspects of it as well. And, and he was very, um, very pragmatic about doing that. He wanted to make sure that he uh, worked on those things. He felt that they were important. And that's not to say that, you know, he forgot anything, but, you know, as we pointed out earlier, a lot of players, uh, especially amateur players that aren't playing uh, maybe more than once a week, 
uh, can get rusty on some of those areas anyway. So if you've been sitting for three or four months and not really out uh, on the golf course or in uh, you know a heated dome as you or lighted dome uh, as you pointed out, Bill, uh, I think a lot of players uh, forget some of the fun. I mean, it's amazing just that a few uh, adjustments on the on a grip can make a world of difference or uh, ball position or alignment. I mean, very subtle changes sometimes can make a world of difference. So uh, I think both of you touched on that. It's, it's highly important, especially being the season that you get out of the gate um, with, the, with the right uh, tools in hand, uh, making sure that everything's fitting properly, but also making sure that you've um, had a good assessment for the year, talked about some of the goals that you want to do for that year, and also making sure that you've worked uh, and continue to work on your fundamentals on a regular basis. Uh, anything I missed out? No, it sounds that's a pretty complete list in my book. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, as always, I, I like to uh, – gosh, I can't believe that hours is, is zipped by here pretty quick. I always enjoy uh, our, our discussions here in Coach's Corner. And, again, I appreciate uh, um, you guys giving of your time. But I want to give you a few moments to uh, each talk about – um, what you're working on right now uh, with your students. Obviously, we, we talked a little bit about what you'd like to work, but uh, what have you got coming up? Anything special that you've got coming up for the year? And then also let the folks know how they can reach out to you uh, if they're interested in contacting you. Uh, Bill, I'm going to let you go first this time. Okay. Um, I have my, uh, uh, when, as I'm transitioning now, I'm just finishing up here in Florida and then heading back to uh, Illinois on uh you know in the middle of the month and uh on the 24th i'll be available of april i'll be available in illinois to to, uh, coach and i have coaching programs that go on and i've changed the the paradigm of my coaching a little bit i'm working more monthly with players than doing hourly packages because we're we're focusing on results so those those monthly packages would, would include two meetings to four meetings a month privately and then a couple group scoring sessions where we're working on short game and we're really setting up goal setting and um, you know as much scoring as we possibly can with short game assessments um, driver assessments um, and putter assessments because these are the with with most players if I can get even an average player with both ends of their bag being very very competent the rest in the middle kind of takes care of itself sometimes when a player is very limited and doesn't have a lot of practice time so we can get the ball off the tee we can get the ball on the green from close and be very efficient putting it works great uh, for the competitive players we go a little bit deeper but um, you know i utilize the uh, body track and the uh, foresight launch monitor as well as um, v1 video and uh, you know just try to help the players get the most out of their game that they can and, and results-oriented. We want to see these players play their best and smile about their game. Um, easy way to get in touch with me is um, my direct line is area code 630-926-4554. Uh, my website is billabramsgolf.com, and my uh, email would be babramspga52 at gmail. And uh, that's pretty much the easiest way to go. I'm here at uh, in Margate through uh, through the end of next week, and then I'll be back in Illinois. Perfect uh, time to transition now that the uh, – not that we've had a really harsh uh, winter this year. We've had a pretty mild winter in most of the areas, a little snow here and there, but uh, a great time to transition to uh, to the north uh, for sure, and, and thank you for that, Bill. Um, Pete, what about yourself? What, what have you got uh, cooking here in the next little bit? And let the folks know how they can reach out to you if they want. 
Well, you know, as we've talked about before, I do quite a, quite a lot of my businesses online instruction, and you know, we've uh, been been growing that steadily over the years. Um, you know, I've developed a system uh, of not only of drills of things to put together that coincide with it, but also through uh, my work, uh, have come up with a formula for horizontal and vertical movement, which has uh, become a great tool for me and for the players to quickly get you know, what's going on with the swing to make it uh, more efficient right away. And so that's something I've been working on quite a bit uh, over the last couple of years. And and it's really been a a great thing to to, uh, bring to the students. Got a couple of different uh, apps that are going to be coming out um, uh, that I'm going to be involved with uh, more for online instruction, which I'm really happy to see. And, and I've got some guys retooling my website, which is, is going to bring a lot more efficiency to it, but also, a lot more of the online uh, portions of the instruction. Uh, so they'll be able to do everything that I do currently in other places all in one spot. So I'm really looking forward to that. And, and uh, towards the end of the year, possibly have my own app out. So I'm, um, it's going to be a busy year as far as the technology goes. But uh, from instruction, it's all still the same. I've got a whole bunch of folks here in St. Louis that I work with face-to-face and, um, and uh, several uh, tour players across the world, so it's always fun. But you know, I like everybody to know too. I mean, it's uh, you know, if you're not uh, you know in the vicinity, we can still do some work. So you know, don't hesitate to contact me. Website's plainsimplegolf.com. P-L-A-N-E. That plain simple golf. Um, you know, all my contact info's out there. It's it's a, very simple to see, and I've got uh, some more things we're doing with the uh, with the training brace that I developed, the simple swing repeater. So we've got some more exciting things coming out with that. Uh, uh, some new uh, uh, videos and things that are going to go along with it. So um, I'm really looking forward to this year. I think it's going to be a lot of fun and, uh, and uh, you know, bringing the instruction to, to, to as many people as we can. You know, and that's one of the things, well said, both of you, and thank you uh, again for, for being on the show tonight. You know, guys, one of the things that I, I really like, and, we, you know, we've talked about the technology, and, and, you know, sometimes we've been a little bit critical of some of the technology, but I, I agree with you, Pete. I think there's um, some of the technology out there and the access and availability for uh, players literally from around the globe uh, having the opportunity to be able to learn from uh, great professionals such as yourself and, and Bill and many of the others that have been on the show um, is, is a big plus. And I think that, you know, especially with some of the younger generation that's coming up that is very tech savvy and very into um, not just social media, but into um, the video and, and having access to that, uh, some of that newer technology, I think it's vital that we, we keep ourselves up to date um, without getting too trapped into it, but at the same time making it available for, for those um, um, that maybe we don't always have the opportunity to see face-to-face. So, and you do a great job, Pete, uh, as always, uh, sort of finding that balancing act uh, with technology. So uh, kudos to you as well and to you uh, also, Bill, for, for all that you do. Um, guys, I want to thank you for again for joining me on the Coach's Corner panel tonight. It was an interesting discussion, um, a little bit different approach. Uh, we've got some more great stuff coming up in, in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, we're going to get into some more stuff about fitness. Uh, Brett Cohen is going to be joining us again on some of the panel next uh, month uh, and a few more months after that. And I've got some other guests that are going to be joining in as well, uh, talking about other areas of, of golf that we're going to uh, get into some interesting conversation here on the Coach's Corner panel. So, um, Guys, uh, enjoy the rest of the Masters this weekend. Uh, I think it's going to be an interesting one uh, by the sounds of it. And 
again, I appreciate you guys coming on tonight and sharing uh, your thoughts and input on, on the Coach's Corner panel. Thanks so much, Ted. And, Pete, it was great. Great job tonight. Thanks very much, everybody. Uh, same, Bill, you bet. And, Ted, thank, thank you because, you know, bringing this forum out, uh, as, as I've always said, it's, it's, a, it's a great thing that you do, and, and uh, we as professionals really appreciate you taking the time to bring us on. I mean, it's really great for us. Absolutely. Well, well, uh, thank you guys, and, and I appreciate that. And, and, you know, as I've said many times, really, this for me is a vessel for, for two reasons. One, as you just pointed out, I, I want to be able to showcase some of the many great professionals out there um, that, uh, you know, are in the game each and every day that are working hard, that are doing their due diligence, if you will, in trying to grow this game. Um, number one, to be able to help showcase them, but also to uh, it helps me in, in my instruction and in my teaching as well, because I, as I know you all have uh, mentioned in the past when we've had other uh, guests and things on the show, that we all learn something. Uh, we're never, uh, we've never stopped learning in, in this journey, and I think that when you do, uh, then it's time to retire. But um, but I think that we all learn something here and we can share an exchange of, of information among uh, our fellow peers. And I think that that's really what the show is about is, is exchanging uh, information and letting the fans and the listeners know as well um, and get access to some of this uh, great instruction and, and great uh, professionals like yourself. So thank you guys for your time and, and enjoy the rest of the week uh, weekend and the Masters. And I look forward to you joining me again in future uh, Coach's Corner panels and uh, guest appearances as well. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much, Thanks, Ted. Man. Have a great evening. Enjoy the weekend. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, that was my uh, very special guests on the Coach's Corner panel tonight, uh, Pete Buchanan and Bill Abrams, uh, two great professionals, as I have uh, said earlier on. Um, I really do enjoy and I appreciate them giving of their time. It's not always easy. I know that sometimes after a hard day uh, out on the golf course, and some people might think it's, it's, it's a, a, a luxury every day, and it certainly is a blessing to be able to, to do this for a living, uh, but it can also be very tiring, um, especially when you've got a full – uh, book of lessons each and every day. Uh, sometimes it can be a little tiring and you just want to kind of go home and kick up your feet and, and relax a little bit. Um, but these guys really step up the plate and, and come on here faithfully each and every week. Um, and so thank you to, again, to Pete and Bill. Uh, I've got another great guest, uh, two guests coming on the show th- uh, this evening. Uh, and uh, they've put together a, a very interesting book called So You Want to Play Golf. And what's very interesting about this, before I bring them on, um, what I really liked about this, the first and foremost, uh, is it was a very short book and right to the point. There were a lot of great information, uh, and we're going to talk about some of that here when they come on the show uh, after I do their introductions. Um, but I, I like the fact there's a lot of great golf books out there um, to be had. And one of the f- first things that I noticed when, uh, when I received my copy of this uh, from them was that it was very straightforward and to the point and had a lot of useful information, a lot of useful information uh, from cover to cover. And we're going to talk about some of that here in just a moment. But let me, uh, let me introduce my guests and tell you a little bit about them. Uh, first up is uh, Rick Wolfel. Uh, he's a freelance writer based in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, near uh, Philadelphia. And he has covered women's golf in print and broadcast media for more than three decades. Uh, he's covered, in fact, his first LPGA event in 1986, the McDonald's Championship, and has covered uh, the tour uh, ever since. Uh, presently, he produces LPGA content for the Women's Sports and Entertainment Network, 
Uh, earlier in his career, uh, he was the golf editor for the uh, Mulligan Magazine and the associate editor for Philadelphia Golf Magazine and New Jersey State Golf. Uh, he also writes extensively about other sports and as well other subjects, including the turf grass industry. And um, I'm looking forward to having him join us, as well as uh, his co-author on the book, uh, Kim Barecchio. Uh, she's a PGA Director of Instruction at Loxahatchee. Uh, she is trained as an uh, assistant golf professional at the, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this correct, uh, Mink Golf Club in Pennsylvania from uh, 93 to 96. And during that time, she served as tournament uh, chairman for the Philadelphia Assistance Organization. And in 1995, she won a Philadelphia Assistance event at Hartfield National Golf Club and was named the 1995 Philadelphia Assistance Organization uh, Player of the Year. And in 2004, she became the first female to qualify and uh, compete in the Philadelphia Open. And from 94 to 96, she competed on the Gulf, uh, the Gold uh, Coast Tour and the Golden Bear Tours uh, while working at Loxahatchee. Uh, and she also served as a member of the South Florida Section PGA Tournament Committee. And for the past 12 summers, she has instructed at uh, Waynesboro Country Club in Paoli, uh, Pennsylvania. I'm pronouncing that correctly as well. Uh, she founded uh, Girl Power Golf at a weekly clinic for girls ages 5 to 8 to introduce them to the game. And she also created the numerous instructional opportunities for the members and partnered with a TPI-certified fitness professional as well. Uh, great golf professional and a great uh, freelance writer. So without further ado, let me welcome my very special guests, uh, Rick Wolfel and uh, Kim Verecchio. Guys, welcome to Golf Talk Live. Thanks for having us. Hi, Kim. Hi, Rick. Hi, Ted. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. I appreciate you guys taking your time. Um, before we get into the book, uh, I, I just want to talk a little bit about with, with you guys. Rick, um, I actually called Rick a little bit earlier, and uh, I'm, I'm glad everything's worked out. I had a little bit of a technical issue earlier tonight, and I didn't mention this on the show earlier, but um, we had a, a power outage in our area, and then also with some of the inclement weather that's been kind of moving up to the northeast, uh, our server up in New York that handles the broadcast, I think, had some issues as well, and I had some difficulty getting in, but uh, I'm glad we've worked it out. But um, in my conversation, Rick, when we talked uh, a little while ago, uh, one of the things that we were talking about, you had sent me an email earlier uh, about coming on the show, and you mentioned uh, about some of the issues uh, that had arisen as a result of the um, uh, controversy with um, Lexi Thompson. I want to talk a little bit about that. We talked about it in, earlier in our Coach's Corner panel discussion, but you brought up some very interesting points as to why um, maybe some concerns um, and how it's handled but also some potential concerns with having individuals calling in to the various networks that are hosting these tournaments, um, some of the potential issues that can arise. And then, Kim, I certainly want, as a professional in, in the golf industry, I want you to chime in as well, uh, your thoughts about what happened and um, how you think it could be maybe handled differently from a professional standpoint. Uh, Rick, go ahead. Okay, Ted, thanks. Um, I had some concerns, and I do not blame the LPGA for how they handled it, on Sunday, the rules as they are written are pretty straightforward, and uh, the two two shot penalties were what was called for under the rules for not replacing the ball properly and uh, for signing an incorrect scorecard. The problem I have is with any televised golf event accepting information from outside sources, be it from television viewers at home or be it from the television network that is. Uh, handling the telecast. Uh, that's something 
that I don't think should happen. It is permitted under the rules of golf, uh, but I think with the complexities of uh, replay now, and replay has become such a big factor in team sports as well as golf, I think it causes or sets up the potential for a lot of problems. And we talked about this earlier. Uh, The person that emailed the LPGA uh, notifying them of the infraction uh, they remained anonymous, but sure. you wonder if this person had some stake in the outcome, whether they had a grudge against Lexi Thompson for some reason or another, whether they were a fan of another player, uh, whether they mm-hmm. had some sponsorship ties to another player, uh, or if they had uh, a betting interest in the result. I mean, all those points are logical questions to be asked and Kim can speak to this better than I can but if you're a player even if you're 100% innocent of any wrongdoing if you are told that something is going to be reviewed on video because there is a question about your actions that's a distraction and I would think and again Kim please touch on this one uh, that kind of distraction in the middle of a tournament round is uh, not what you want yeah, Kim, and let me let me just uh, add to this a little bit before I get your um, before we get your response. Um, Rick raises a very interesting point, or several points actually. Uh, number one, the the um, it's inviting really the way it's currently uh, handled now. It's inviting a, a potential abuse um, in the sense that uh, again, a, a person that maybe um, has ulterior motives uh, could could uh, alter, if you will, uh, the outcome of a tournament but also um, could, at the very worst, because of a, a potential review of, of a circumstance, could at the very least derail uh, a player's um, thought process. So as a player yourself, you've played, obviously, uh, in many uh, tournaments along the way, uh, as well as uh, instructed. As a player, how would that affect you mentally if you were challenged with something, um, even if it didn't ultimately end in, in uh, a penalty, how would that affect you during your round? And how do you feel uh, Lexi handled herself given the circumstances that she was faced with? Um, for, first, let me start with how Lexi handled herself. I, I think she did an amazing job. She's, a, she's very young. And while she has some experience out there on the tour, it had to be extremely difficult for her to, to get this news so late into the final round. Um, and I thought that she did an unbelievable job, and the mental toughness that she showed to finish and get into the to the playoff to me was just very admirable. And I hope that the young people, uh, junior golfers out there who watched the event, I hope that they they learn something about character from from watching her. Um, as far as the as what happened, I don't think I think the LPGA handled it to the best of their abilities. But I don't right. think that instant replay has any has any place in our sport uh, for a couple of reasons. One is, are you going to be able to have cameras out there on every single player that's in the field? And mm-hmm. two, you know, part of golf is about integrity and um, doing the right thing. And I think when you look at our tour players who are playing week in and week out, I mean, they they police themselves pretty well. So she didn't intentionally make a mistake and to, to let a viewer who, who Rick's right and your other guests were right. We don't know what their motives were, 
call in um, to me seems just really unfair. And I think that, you know, the rule change of not disqualifying her, that which would have happened last year, worked in her favor because at least she didn't get DQ'd from the event for signing an incorrect scorecard. But if we hadn't had that rules change, think about how, you know, how badly this could have turned out for this player. Yeah, yeah, well said. And, and I think the other thing, too, is, uh, and I agree wholeheartedly um, with, with your uh, input as well, Kim. I think one of the things that, that needs to happen, first off, you're right, you can't have uh, enough cameras out on the golf course to cover every uh, issue. So, obviously, uh, integrity of the players comes into play. And I think th- there's enough um, professionalism in the business now that if there is um, and there certainly have uh, the, the gentlemen that were on earlier have mentioned this. Obviously, in the past, there was the odd player who, um, for lack of better words, usurped the, the rules a little bit. But they were quickly weeded out. Uh, the other players knew who they were um, and, and kind of got after them if they felt that they were not uh, you know, playing above board or, or, for lack of better words, cheating in, in some point. So they, right. they kind of policed themselves. Um, in today's you know, day and age where you're talking – in some cases, uh, you know, million, million and a half uh, dollar purses, especially on the PGA Tour um, and, and several, you know, hundreds of thousands on, on the LPGA Tour, you've got a, a, an issue of potentially losing a lot of money. So, you know, if you're somebody that's going to come out there and, and try to, um, you know, wiggle your way around the golf course in a less than professional way, you're going to get weeded out pretty quick. And I think that the other players are going to recognize that and your career is going to be over um, very quickly as well. I, I agree. I think that we, we don't need to have outside elements coming in. And I think at the very least, if they are going to do something and they are going to permit that to happen, then I think what they need to do is they need to put a time restriction on it and not allow it to um, come in the next day. In other words, once the uh, final player has signed their scorecard and the round has been closed, if that infraction has not been brought out before that round is closed, then it should be done. Um, and, and Rick, we talked about that a little bit. Uh, obviously, once the tournament is over, there's not, nothing that's going to happen. I think in only extreme cases where there is a clear and definite intentional um, rule infraction where somebody has, in other words, cheated, um, should there be a disqualification of some kind coming in maybe after the fact. But other than that, I think that, um, and, and you're right, both of you are right, I think the LPGA handled it the best way that they could given the circumstances. Uh, it was a very tough and difficult break for, uh, for that player. And also it's, it's tough uh, as well for the other players uh, in the tournament as well to see that happen. I'm sure it had to affect many of the players uh, in close proximity uh, to where she was. So um, uh, very unfortunate. Uh, but as you pointed out, Kim, uh, she handled it like a trooper and I think uh, probably increased her fan base, I'm sure, uh, in, in the days following. So um, great thoughts and, and, and great, uh, great comments, guys. Um, all right, I want to talk about, before we get, jump into the book here, um, and, and Kim, I'm going to let you uh, maybe start the conversation here. First up, how did you two meet and uh, how did you decide to sort of collaborate uh, on this book? What was sort of the, the thought process there, and how did you guys uh, uh, sort of come together on this? Well, I met Rick uh, in Philadelphia when I was playing amateur golf, actually, because he's, he's, he's been a great friend to women's golf for a long time, and he covered many events that I played in. 
and was always kind, <laughs> no matter how my play was. <laughs> and we had we we had done some things together when he was with various magazines. I had given him some input or helped with with some stories he was working on. And the book, it's it's kind of funny because I was at Waynesboro and Rick was there to cover a women's uh, Philadelphia Association event. And he approached me and said that he had an idea and he was wondering if I would, you know, be interested in maybe consulting on it or talk to him about it. And it went from a consulting project to he flew to Florida and interviewed me for four days. So um, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. It, it, it was a great project, but the reason that I really jumped on board was there's so many instructional books out there for golf, but there's not a lot of books that show you how to get involved in the game or talk to you about once you go to a golf course, the people that you'll encounter, how to be appropriately attired, what does that even mean? So I thought that there was there was a market for this type of, of idea and um, having you know being familiar with his writing style and knowing that it was going to be an easy read and easy to understand really made it uh, enticing to me to, to get involved. Right. Well, that's very and, kind and, of you. I, I think, Ted, part of the reason this came together, and again, I just we just happened to encounter each other <clears throat> at this Philadelphia Association event, and Kim had a lapse in judgment and agreed to uh, work with me on it. But I think <laughs> the uh, the reason it came together so well is Kim is so passionate about what she does, about bringing new people into the game and keeping them. And this book was aimed at people who either had never played before or had tried golf and had a bad experience. And when we sat down to talk, uh, it was fascinating and very enjoyable to allow Kim to expound on all these issues that she is so passionate about. It was very obvious to me. Uh, why she has had the success she has had as an instructor, because she is so passionate about the game. She's passionate about the the students uh, that she works with. So once we finished uh, the three or four days of interviews, it was simply a matter of taking all that and putting it into a readable form, and it actually went very, very smoothly. And... Uh, Kim could not have been more enthusiastic or supportive uh, throughout the entire process. And from the time that we actually sat down and did the interviews until the book was published was a little over six months. And she was extremely supportive throughout the entire process. What I like, um, you know, really about this book. And, and by the way, thank you, uh, Kim, for sending me a copy of this, and, and thank you both uh, for putting this together. I, I think what I, I liked probably most uh, about, there are several things actually, but one of the things that first drew my attention is including both of your, your, your bios at, the, at the, uh, the end of the book, there are 40 pages. It's a great read. There's a lot of information, but you've kept it to a point that it's not daunting and overwhelming uh, of a read. It's very easily and very um, simply put together, but it's chock full of information. And you've edited it down and kept it in such a way that this is a great book for somebody particularly, uh, certainly as a refresher, 
but particularly somebody that has never played, if they want to understand what golf is really all about, and as you put in the title, so you want to play golf, this is a great introductory book for somebody that has never really uh, been introduced to the game of golf. Um, and Kim, as you pointed out, there are many, many golf books out there on instruction, things like that, and certainly not to, to criticize any of them, but there are some that get into a lot of information that for the average player or person out there that really doesn't know a lot about golf can be very confusing. You guys have done a great job in eliminating a lot of that confusion. Um, do you want to touch on that a little bit, uh, Kim and, and Rick? Yeah, Absolutely. So it, it was important when we did this project that we recognized that golf is very difficult. And if you, you know, if you listen to some of the talk in the golf world that we're, we're not growing the game and there aren't new players coming to the game, there's a huge intimidation factor. And I do, at, both at Waynesboro and at Loxahatchee, I run what's called a ladies' boot camp, which is geared more towards beginner golfers or women who were in the game and had children or careers and now are coming back into the game in their 60s. And what I've found with working with them is that the simpler I keep it and the more fun it is, the more they want to come back every week and every year. And so, you know, building on that premise and saying, okay, I would want any of my boot campers to be able to pick up this book and read it and actually understand what I was saying and not have to, pull out a dictionary or another golf book mm. or the rules of golf and say, what the heck does that mean? Uh, that was really important. And I, I, when we finished the book and we actually went to print, we didn't really show it to many people before we printed it, but I gave it to some of those players and, and they all came back and said, Oh yeah, you tell me this stuff. I, I get it. I understand what this is talking about. And, you know, or, or am I the person you wrote this little story about? Because, you know, a lot of the stuff, all the stuff in the book that we, examples we give, that's happened to me in my teaching career from these newer players. Um, and obviously, you know, with, again, with golf being so hard and so intimidating, we had to find a way to make it more comfortable for them. I think the biggest compliment I got uh, came from Kim Kim, when you told me that you showed the manuscript to your husband and his comment was it sounded like you. And that was the mm. idea, Ted. The book is written in Kim's voice. She has had right. a wonderful career as an instructor. And the idea was f to get the information across the way she would present it. Uh, Kim, fortunately, has never seen me swing a golf club. Uh, those that have would be covering their eyes a lot. Uh, my knowledge of the golf swing would fit on the head of a pin. But the idea right. is to get the information across in a presentable way, and it's what Kim has been so good at. And it was simply a matter of taking what she said and going through the transcripts of those interviews and just transcribing them and polishing them up a little bit, but not very much. And that's that's what the book is, and anything that had to be filled in was done in a way to make it sound like him, and it worked. Um, let me let me just uh, throw a quick compliment in here, Rick. Um, you you are by far one of the most humble golf writers I've ever had the pleasure of interviewing on this show, and and uh, that's a kudos to you. Um, you're exactly right, and and that, and that's really what you want, and I think in any book is you want to be able to, um, you know, the the, the person. The person's words, you want to feel it's as though they're speaking to you and not just uh, a bunch of fa fancy jargon. And what I like about this, uh, um, you know, Kim, 
is there's a lot of su- uh, subtle humor in here. Um, you know, for instance, on, on page seven, which you're talking about uh, clubs and, 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 of course, the golf balls, and under Woods, you've got, of course, a photo of you on, on a, hitting a tee shot, and underneath the, the caption is, uh, the driver provides distance off the tee, but not for everyone. Um, I- explain what you meant by that. So, for, again, for some of the non-golfers that haven't played very much, um, why you wanted to put that in there, why it's important that people understand um, that they're not all going to be the same. She was serious about that one. That but, wasn't the yeah. usual part. <laughs> Go ahead, Kim. Um, I think it's important because a lot of people's uh, exposure to golf is watching the tour players on TV. And so yeah. they come they come out to the range and they'll tell you about this great shot that they saw Dustin Johnson hit or Lexi Thompson or whomever, and they want to do it. And then you start looking at their motion and their physical limitations and maybe their age, and you think to yourself, oh, my goodness, this player is probably not going to be able to do that. And that's okay, but they have this perception that – if the tour players are doing it or if I'm doing it, that they should be able to. And I think it's important for them to recognize that everybody has different abilities and limitations, but that doesn't mean that you can't play the game and that you can't either have some success at it or enjoyment. So there's lots of, there's lots of beginner golfers, for example, that try to hit a driver, but because of the length of the club and the loft that's on it and the speed that they produce, it just doesn't work, but we can get them to tee off with a five wood or a hybrid and they can get the ball up in the air and in the fairway and it, and it's a good shot and it's playable for them. So I do think, you know, it's, it's important to be real and not have them stand out there and struggle with something that may never work for them. Yeah, well, well said. And, and let me ask you, Rick, uh, and I want to throw this question to you particularly, and Kim, uh, please, by all means, uh, feel free to, to uh, jump in on this as well. But um, Rick, being somebody in, in the media for, for quite a number of years, you know, you've seen and, and read and, and written, uh, I'm sure, many articles over the years and followed a lot of players over the years. Do you think it's fair for the amateurs out there, as Kim just sort of pointed out, their exposure to golf visually um, with, with mediums such as like the golf channel. And again, I'm not criticizing anybody in the media is sort of the elite player. So their exposure, especially a a new uh, person to golf, their, their idea of golf is this perfect machine. They see on TV hitting every uh, shot perfectly, especially with, with editing and so forth. Um, They're not seeing all the bad stuff out there. Um, Do you think it's a little intimidating for new golfers that want to get into the game and, what do you think we can do uh, as professionals uh, like Kim and myself to educate people and, and let them understand that what they're seeing on TV is number one, isn't always real because it is, uh, they're only seeing the best of the best. They're not seeing a lot of difficult uh, difficulties that some of the players might go through in a round just for editing purposes. Um, what do we need to do to, to really educate them and make them understand that not everybody is going to be uh, Tiger Woods or Lexi Thomas, uh, Thompson or, or some of the other great players out there? What can the media do, do you think, to help soften the blow, I guess, is the word I'm looking for? Well, to take the uh, first part of your question, Ted, I think people do get, if they're not familiar with the game, they get the wrong idea from watching the tour players because they make the game look so much easier than it actually is. Golf is a hard game. There may be some people that pick it up naturally 
but the vast majority of people don't. The vast majority of people that play it are not going to be proficient enough, certainly to play professionally or earn a college scholarship or whatever. But the game is designed to be fun. It is designed to be a recreational pastime. I mean, you have the USGA handicap system, so you can compete on an equitable basis. Uh, I'll go out and play golf in the summertime with friends once it dries out around here. And if I have a good day, I'll break 100. I'm starting to play the forward tees a little more than I used to. I'm going to have Kim speak to that in in a second. But I can play the game well enough to have fun with it, and I'm fine with that. I think if people come to the understanding that you don't have to play the game like an expert to enjoy it, that I think is at the heart of the message that I think golf professionals do try to get across to their students and anybody else that walks in their door. And, Kim, I will let you take it from there because you can speak to this so well. Go ahead, Kim. Well, I think I think that there's so there's so much out there right now about golf with, uh, with the Golf Channel, with all the events that are televised. And I think it's, you know, it's, good because it does give people more exposure but I think that one of the things you know we can do better as golf professionals and and I just I did this recently is that I had eight brand new golfers we were doing a clinic and I put them all on video and Mm -hmm. I videoed each one and then I made I made them all as a group watch all the swings and what was really interesting to me was that none of them were afraid because they were doing it as a, as a team. And right. when they watched, they realized that their motion wasn't as bad as they perceived it to be. But right. it didn't look like the tour player, but they all made contact and the ball went at the target. And so for them, that was a win. And mm-hmm. sometimes I think we lose sight of, you know, we get so technical or we're striving for the perfect swing and we forget that we're, we're human. There's, there's no perfection. And if we show these players a little bit more, some more of the average swings, um, I think that they start to feel more comfortable with what they're doing and recognize that, oh, yeah, there's lots of different ways to do it. I think that some of the articles that have come out recently from um, on social media where different players have won different events and, and we've seen like three different players with three different bodies and three different swing styles and they all have won an event, but it's all very different. I think that kind of stuff is helpful for the average player to see. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think obviously somebody that's been around golf for a long time, I think, you know, some of our, uh, you know, our weekend warriors, as some people refer to them, I think obviously have a more realistic uh, expectation of their golf game. They know they're not going to be, uh, you know, out there swinging it with the best of them on tour. Um, but I think, and, and you do talk about this, you do touch a, about this uh, very early on in the book uh, about that some people have actually gotten away from the game because it wasn't as easy as they saw on television or in some other medium. And this has certainly helped or certainly hurt uh, the numbers uh, in, in growing the game for sure. And I think. You know, you hear all, depending on who you listen to, there's all kinds of reports. Some say, well, golf's on the decline. Some say, well, no, it's not. It's just changed and, and so on and so forth. I think it's a little of both. Um, and I think that also uh, in, in competition with social media and, and other uh, sports and things like that, 
you know, I think golf has, has got to sort of change and, and evolve uh, as many other sports have in order to be competitive. Um, what I really like, as I was starting to say earlier, what I really like about this is, again, you, you've kept it very simple. I like the fact, you know, for instance, uh, you talk about the golf course in the second chapter. You talk a little bit about, um, you know, different areas of the golf course, uh, starting out, of course, with the tee and uh, working through the fairway rough and, and bunkers and so forth. And you explain to the reader what each of these mean. Again, for somebody that's been in the, uh, around the game for a long time, Kim, uh, you know, they're, they're going to understand what all of this means. But for somebody that's very new to the game, um, you know, if they were sitting in a group and we were all talking about golf and they really haven't had much exposure, um, your book kind of helps them to understand what you and I and maybe Rick are talking about, correct? Correct. Absolutely. Because they, because when you grow up, you know, I, t- I use this analogy all the time. When you grow up in this kingdom of golf or this country of golf, you forget what you learned way back when. And if you took, if you took an adult who had never spoken a foreign language and you put them in a room and said, okay, today you're going to start to learn French and you're going to be able to speak it fluently, they would think you were a little bit crazy because it's a very hard language to learn. And all of a sudden you've been speaking English your whole life and you don't know anything about this other language and you're supposed to become proficient at it. So for golfers to just give them some knowledge of what things are, that starts to make them feel more comfortable. Like, okay, I'm not so out of the loop here and, and I can start to figure this out and at least feel like I'm part of the conversation and not an outsider. Yeah. And, and Rick, the other thing too, that, that this book does um, is you guys have done a great job in with, with each of the different topics and areas of discussion throughout the book, you talk a little bit about the history, not just the history in golf, but history, um, you know, about the golf ball, for instance, you know, the golf ball was once made of this and so on and so forth. And you talk a little bit about the evolution where it was once and where it is now. Um, why was that important? Do you think to, to sort of have that in the book as well? Well, that uh, I think was, something that I wanted to do. I'm a little bit of a history buff, whether it's golf or whether it's another sport or whether it's political history or whatever. And I think it is very important, Ted, that that kind of history be retained, that people that are coming into the sport learn something about it. Again, it increases their comfort level, and as Kim mentioned a moment ago, makes them feel like they're part of the conversation and also on a larger scale it's very important to me that this history be retained 50 years down the road maybe people will forget what a golf ball was made out of at the turn of the 20th century and once information like that disappears it is very hard to recover so I think it was a two-pronged school of thought to educate newcomers a little bit about the game and its history and also to see that that history doesn't disappear. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. I think it's uh, in every aspect of life now, I think that, you know, we, we see, um, you know, as, as, as we evolve, that um, certain elements are not being taught anymore. 
and I think a lot of people forget, and this was a great way of really just sort of reminding every, without getting too technical and too in-depth, just sort of reminding everybody a little bit where this game started. And, and you guys also did, uh, Kim, you did a great job as well um, a little bit further on. Of course, you talk about the basics of the game and, and some of the, the, the general, um, without getting too rules uh, in depth you talk a little bit about some of the rules some of the things that when you get into things like cart pass and, and that sort of thing um, and you talk about you know uh, the golfers allies uh, obviously the, the teacher professional and caddies for those that uh, um, but some of the different key players that that somebody might find at a golf course uh, you know including a golf superintendent but what I liked about it as well is you actually got into and I'm, I'm sure Rick as you just pointed you had uh, some influence in this as well um, but some of the history and resources, uh, a lot of people don't know where to go. It's not just about going up to the golf course, but don't know some of the governing bodies that are involved, like the USGA um, and uh, obviously the PGA of America. They've all heard of the PGA Tour or LPGA. Um, but you, you give a little bit of insight into each of these organizations, what they're about, what their purpose is. Um, and then you go on to some other things we'll talk about in just a second. But uh, touch on that as well, uh, again, why you wanted to make sure that that was included in the book. Uh, Kim. Uh, well, I think it's I think it's important when you when you come into any any new endeavor that you have some um, basis of knowledge of where things come from, and with some of the governing bodies, the the USGA I, I think is kind of a mystery to people who are really new to the game, and right. and the P and the PGA is another mystery because people don't understand that the PGA Tour and the PGA of America are two separate entities. And I think right. sometimes they look at, at, at golf professionals and think, are confused as to what our role is, what we do, what we're there for. You know, I, when you, I used to be a playing professional, but now I'm a golf mm-hmm. professional, and my role is very different. And I think it's important to, to uh, identify that and define that for players so that they have an idea of, like, where to look um, and where, like, who creates the rules and, and who is responsible for the day-to-day kind of stuff, but who's responsible for kind of keeping the game in check as a whole. Um, and I, I, a lot of that stuff, even people that have been in the game for a couple years don't know a lot of times that there's a difference. With the LPGA Tour, too, now, I mean, now the PGA of America and the LPGA Tour have a relationship and are doing a lot mm-hmm. of things together, and, and people still don't know about that. Um, so it really is a whole community that's working together, but there are separate organizations in, in, inside of it. Right. Uh, and, and, yeah, I think a lot of people are very excited about that relationship. Uh, I think it's something really, to be honest, that's been long overdue. Um, you know, I like the fact, obviously, they, they are still separate entities, but um, now they're going to work together, and it's, uh, you know, certainly going to be a mutual benefit. Um, I, I got to give kudos to, in fact, Sidney uh, Miller and I um, work together on a, another broadcast of Women of Golf every Tuesday morning. And uh, next week, we're actually going to have three of the, the uh, top officials from the LPJ going to be coming on as our guests. And I'm very excited about that. Um, and I just think that they've, they've all done a great job in really growing uh, the LPJ, not just uh, on tour, but even off, uh, off tour with many of the, the teach professionals. I think a lot of the, the, the women professionals, such as yourself, Kim, and many of the others out there, have just done a superb, and I mean a superb job, uh, over the last several decades of just really building the LPGA from, from its inception right up to where it is today. And, and a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication, 
and uh, uh, you know, just a, a lot of passion has gone into to growing uh, that particular brand. And I think that the people that are involved right now, uh, not just at, at, uh, at your position, but also uh, in, in corporate, uh, I think are really uh, moving golf in a great direction. And I think that you're going to see more and more, hopefully you're going to see more and more young women uh, gravitate to the LPGA, not just as a player, but as, as a teacher professional as well. Um, let, let's talk about very quickly, and we'll, we'll uh, get into some other things as well. But where can uh, where can the listeners, if they're interested in getting a copy of this book, uh, where can they get their hot little hands on a copy? Uh, Rick, do you want to uh, let the folks know where they can do that? And then we, I've got some other questions that we'll uh, we'll get into as well. All right, uh, the book is available through Amazon.com. It is also available through CreateSpace, which is uh, Amazon's publishing arm. And I will dig up. Okay. Uh, the URL for you in a couple of minutes, but uh, we decided to go with Amazon and their publishing platform. They were a good group to work with. There were a lot of advantages uh, for us. Mm -hmm. It simplified the entire process, and of course, Kim and I have other things that we were doing while we were putting this book together. So it was uh, very important to find a process that was streamlined as much as possible. And we did some mm-hmm. investigating as to what direction we wanted to go in. Amazon proved to be the best choice, and it turned out to be a good choice for us. Yeah, I would agree with that. I've seen uh, quite a few books that have come out here in the last few years Um a lot of people have gravitated to Amazon. They, they've got a great, uh, a great setup for a lot of people that are that are doing the same thing as what you guys have done, and uh, and again, make it very streamlined and very easy uh, for people to get their their uh, their information out there. Um, Kim, I want to talk to you, and and there's some questions here really for both of you. We, we're I can't believe how fast the time is going, but um, we, we've got a little bit of time here. We can carry into some other uh, some other topics. Um, Rick, from your perspective, I'll let you go first, and then Kim, uh, I want you to, to give from, from your uh, angle, if you will, um, how you feel the game uh, and or the industry has evolved over the last uh, several decades. Uh, Rick, you go first, and then, and then Kim, from what you've seen. Well, I think the game has evolved, but I think to a certain extent it is becoming harder to bring new players into the game, and that's for a couple of different reasons. For lots and lots of years, a lot of people got their introduction to golf as caddies. They started out caddying at a young age and picked up the game in the caddy yards and learned the game from there. And now Mm -hmm. you have fewer and fewer clubs that have caddy programs. So people don't learn the game that way. They might learn it from or pick it up from a parent or a relative who plays the game. But it's an avenue that isn't there as much as it used to be. And I think people uh, with increased demands on their time are finding golf less attractive. Some people are. Golf is a time-consuming sport. It is an expensive sport. Uh, Kim can speak to this one, I think, particularly for young girls they're looking at sports as a social activity. Golf can be more solitary. And the other thing, too, is you're finding more and more school-aged athletes, teenagers, focusing on one sport rather than playing 
multiple sports, and that's a whole other discussion. But I think when they get to the point where they want to focus on one sport, if they're 13 or 14 years old, unless they are really exceptional at golf, they're likely to pick some other sport. And that's that's part of the evolutionary process. The other part is, as with today's equipment, golf courses are getting longer and longer. Yeah. And people are hesitant to play from forward tees, although really they shouldn't be. And they can make it awfully tough on themselves because people will play from tees that they really shouldn't. <clears throat> they should take advantage of of moving up, playing a shorter golf course. Uh, I've been fortunate in that I have played uh, a number of rounds with elite female amateurs and on a couple of occasions with um, with uh, teaching professionals, female teaching professionals, and we played from forward tees. And it's a much more enjoyable way to play golf uh, from up there. There's a lot less pressure on you right. if you are playing a shorter golf course. But the the evolution of the sport has been toward everything getting bigger and getting longer, and that makes it tougher, I think, for a new golfer. Yeah, and and I agree with that. I think the tours, unfortunately, bear some of the responsibility there as, as the tour players become more athletic um, than what maybe they were once in the past, uh, and equipment uh, changes and things like that. That has sort of pushed the, uh, the tees further and further back, and unfortunately for the amateurs who are kind of you know still staying in the same place, it's become a very uh, daunting, uh, you know, uh, challenge for, for many of them. Uh, Kim, what about from, from your perspective, from the, from the teacher professional and even as a, uh, as a player, um, what are some of the things that, that you've seen over uh, that the industry has involved, some of the things that you liked, and maybe even some of the things that maybe you'd like to see changed uh, or made differently? Well, I, I think that the uh, fact that the equipment, um, the golf ball goes further and that the equipment's better and you get more distance. I think that that has been harmful because now players are trying to play a golf course that doesn't actually fit them. And what one of the things that's going on in golf right now that I really like and have been very involved in at the Loxahatchee Club is this whole idea of forward tees and play it forward. I think yes. with all the change in the game, not only in equipment, but golfers are now athletes. Uh, and when you when you're coaching juniors, I mean, you're building an athlete first and a golfer second. And these young players today are so much stronger and have such a different workout routine than than I even had, you know, 25 years ago. So that has changed the game. But I think for the average player, what we've lost sight of is that the object of the game is to get the ball in the hole in as few strokes as possible. So it makes it difficult. Uh, playing from these from these long golf courses for players to break 90 or break 100 when really the idea is to get the lowest score you can. And one of the things that I do with with some of my players, uh, especially some of my men who are who are who are struggling with going from the blue set of tees to the white set of tees. You mean there are actually I, uh, players like that, Kim? There are. Stunned and shocked. I will have them go out and play from a, from a more forward set of tees than the whites. And if they, you know, if they can shoot under 80 from there, then they can have a free golf lesson, but, but they can't mm-hmm. do it because they don't know how to play the game. And I think that's the thing that's most frustrating to me is that there's, we have all this technology 
and all of this stuff that helps the elite players, but really it hurts the average player. And I think that's one of the reasons why we see those players get frustrated and not want to continue in the game. Um, because well, I, I don't think it's very much fun to go out every day and shoot 110. Um, no. And if we could get them to, to do it differently and to learn how to actually play the game, uh, it would be more rewarding for them. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I, and I think, you know, as, as somebody who plays the game for those amateurs out there, they want to feel like they're improving. Uh, you know, obviously game uh, golf is a, is a game that – uh, you're, you're never going to master. Even the best of the best will tell you that it's a game that you will always continue to grow and, and continue to learn from. And you may um, get to a, a plateau here and there throughout your, your um, career or through your, your uh, evolution of golf, if you will. But you're never truly going to, to master the game. But you will find pockets throughout your playing that you will see um, certainly some major and some minor improvement. The problem I think, and you touched on this, Kim, I think unfortunately with the industry that I don't like, I'm all for technology. I think it's great. Some of the technology that's out there, I like some of the stuff that's happened with the equipment, some things I don't like. I think one of the dangers that's happened here, and it's starting to to reverse itself a little bit, um, at least from what I've seen, is I think with some of this technology that's come out, and I'm not talking about the equipment, but just some of the the online technology and and uh, um, um, things like flight scope and, and this type of stuff, I think unfortunately the industry got caught up in it a little bit too much, and in its overzealous or or excited uh, moments, if you will, try to convey this information to the average player out there a little bit too much instead of using it for what it was meant to be as a, as a tool for the coach or for the instructor they're trying to impress um some of the students with it and i think it's overwhelmed a lot of people with all the numbers and the facts and the figures coming at them and i don't know you certainly probably have not maybe experienced this yourself but uh, i've i've spoken to many other professionals and they've said themselves that that was one of the dangers with all of this technology that they didn't like was that there was sort of a big push to let's, you know, let's get all this technology out here. And I think a lot of people got scared by it um, on the other side of it that were learning from it because it was overwhelming. It was daunting and they didn't understand because they didn't sit through the, you know, many hours of classroom uh, or on course instruction. They were just getting all of these facts and figures thrown at them and they didn't know how to process it. And I don't know whether you've experienced this, not through your own instruction, but have you had students yourself, Kim, come to you and say, you know what, I don't understand all of this? Uh, and how did you sort of water it down for them to help them? Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, I have, I have a body track, I have a foresight, I have V1. You know, I've got all of the bells and whistles, but how I try to use that is very limited and very specific because right. so many players come out and say, oh, I went and took a golf lesson, and they told me that I needed to be – uh, three degrees out and four degrees up. And, and I think to myself, what the heck does that mean? You know, so if I'm wondering what it means, <laughs> I know that the, play, that the players are a little bit confused. I mean, I grew up in the era of you learned how to play golf by hitting shots and it was about feel and we didn't have distance finders. So you used your feet to walk it up off and you used your eyes to look and see, you know, what it looked like, what it felt like to you to hit the shot. So I, you know, I like to show the players, um, I like to show them some parts of their swing, but very limited. I might just take 
take a swing to the top of the backswing and freeze it and just show them a particular spot or a position or, hey, look what that looks like um, without getting too technical because there's lots of players that come to me and say, I'm working on my swing plane, but I'm wondering what the face is supposed to be doing. You know, so now you've got two right. very different ideas that they're trying to blend together to one thing. And I try to like try to get as much information from them as I can, because one of the things I've learned is if they have a bad concept, then they're in conflict and they can't really make any kind of motion. So, you know, drawing out of them, like, what are you thinking about? What's your idea? Where'd you get that from? Explain that to me. And, and a lot of times through them explaining to me, they realize that, oh my gosh, that's not right at all. Like that doesn't make any kind of sense. Um, so technology, I think for us as instructors is important, especially when we're dealing with the elite players. But I think we right. have to be very careful about how we use that for the average player because sometimes that scares them away from the game. That's why one of the reasons we wanted to do this book to begin with to stay away from the information that is going to confuse or intimidate and Kim did a wonderful job of working from her own knowledge base and understanding what you wanted to get across and what you wanted to stay away from. And that is really the reason uh, this book works so well. Yeah, and, and I, that, again, that's uh, kudos to both of you for, for putting this together. That was one of the reasons that really impressed me. I mean, I've had the opportunity uh, not only through the program but outside of the program to uh, get access to a number of really great books uh, out there that are available. Um, but this one really stood out because of the wealth of information that's contained in it, but yet the simplicity that it was put together. Um, and as I said, it's it's 40 pages long, so it's a very – fast and, and easy read, um, but it's a wealth of information that, um, and, and, and even some history thrown in there as well, Rick, as you pointed out earlier, um, and I'm not going to go through all of it, but just to give you an example for, for those of you tuning in that uh, uh, don't have a copy of the book, um, you know, you, Kim, you put in here, you know, uh, so, so, and again, there's no particular order, but 10, 10 of the remarkable men that have played golf and, and 10 uh, remarkable women that have played golf. And you, you talk, I mean, obviously you've got some of the, uh, the favorites here, Arnold and Jack, of course, and Gary uh, on the men's side. And then you've got uh, uh, Babe, and then you've got um, Mickey Wright and uh, Kathy Whitworth, who I've had the, the pleasure of, uh, of interviewing. And, uh, you know, and many others, Annika, some more uh, current players, and, and Lydia Ko, of course, who's currently number one uh, on, the, on the women's tour. But, you know, I, I like the fact, and again, you didn't get into a great long uh, plethora of bios on each of them, just a, a little bit of information about each, but, but you give that, that new golfer, that new person, uh, an opportunity and a taste of, of the history of golf, who some of the, the, the catalysts were in, in growing this game. Uh, and, uh, and you've given them sort of recognition with this book, but then you've just, uh, again, very simply put together a book that gives general information, leaving the, the readers, um, to obviously want to play golf and leaving them wanting more, not giving them bombarding them with so much information. They say, oh, I, I can't take this game up. I'm never going to figure it out. Um, so you give them enough information to get them uh, almost like a teaser, I guess, really is the way, what I'm trying to say. You guys have given them enough information uh, in here to, to pique their interest, 
but not too much information that has overwhelmed them. And, and I give you guys, again, kudos for, for putting that together. You did a great job. Thank you. Uh, we've got the, Thank you. the link that um, if people would like to order the book online, the best way would be through the CreateSpace platform. And it's uh, www.createspace.com forward slash 608-1648. Again, that's uh, createspace.com forward slash 608-1648. At one point I had that memorized, but perfect. no, no longer. <laughs> no, but, uh, I, I hear it, you. It was, a, well, it was a great process to go through, and uh, again, uh, we writers tend to procrastinate about things. Uh, this one does anyway. And Kim was very encouraging throughout the process and uh, sort of helped uh, keep me at it. That's one reason uh, we got it finished as quickly as uh, as we did. So kudos to her in that regard. Yeah, you did a, you did a fantastic uh, uh, job, Kim, uh, on the book. And, and certainly, as I said, contains some great information. Um, Rick, what I'm going to have you do after – we, we get off the show here in a few moments. Um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, if you could maybe email me that link, and I'm going to put it up through my social media so that people can have the direct link if they if they choose to uh, to order the book. Um, they can do so. I'll put it up on, on Facebook and all my other social media platforms as well so that they'll have it there Thank you. Uh, handy. Take care handy. So, yeah, please please do that after the show. Um, very quickly, guys, we, we've got just a few moments left, and, and unfortunately we've got to wrap this up. But um, if you each want to take a moment just to let the folks uh, know where they can, uh, if they're interested in, in reaching out, Kim, uh, for those that maybe are looking for some instruction or maybe some help with their game, how they can get in touch with you. Uh, and Rick as well, if, if those are interested in learning more about some of the things that you're doing uh, as well or uh, websites and that sort of thing, let them know how they can reach out to you. And then, uh, again, maybe we can just follow up with the book. All right. Kim, go ahead. The, the, the best way to reach me is actually at kvarecchio at locksloxclub.com. Um, that's my email address, and, and I check that all the time, and that's really the best way. Or if you're in the Jupiter area, certainly you could give the Loxahatchee Club golf shop a call and at 561-744-5533 and get to me that way. Perfect. And uh, Rick? All right. The uh, best way to reach me would be via email. Uh, that would be R-W-O-E-L-F, like Frank, E-L, the numeral 2, at verizon.net. That's V as in victory, E-R-I, Z as in zebra, O-N, and it's a dot net. I also have a uh, blog, which I'm uh, working to enhance a little bit. It's still in the developmental stages uh, at WordPress. It is... Uh, rwoofel2, R-W-O-E-L-F-E-L, the numeral 2, dot wordpress.com. And uh, we will occasionally put uh, commentaries and columns up there on a variety of subjects, some of them golf-oriented, some not, but uh, it'll give you an idea of some of the things that we're doing. Perfect. Yeah, I'm interested to hear some of the future projects that you've got working on, so so please keep me posted on that as well. And uh, one more time, Rick, if if I can draw on your memory, uh, the link, uh, the URL that uh, folks can can go, obviously I know the book is available through Amazon.com, but uh, what's the direct URL uh, for those that are listening to the show if they want to 
uh, immediately following the, the broadcast if they want to uh, uh, get their hot little hands and, and, uh, and order them a book. Well, not trusting my own memory, I called it up on the computer <laughs> screen here at home. Uh, HTTPS and dots in the forward two slashes, www.createspace.com forward slash 608-1648. And that will be a direct link to, um, to the Create Space site, and the book can be ordered uh, from there. Well, perfect. Well, um, Rick and Kim, I want to thank you very much for coming on Golf Talk Live, and I'm, I'm glad that the, uh, the golfing gods were with me tonight and allowed this broadcast to, uh, to be able to air. I was a little bit uh, uncertain here earlier on in the evening with, with some of the issues with uh, the weather and, and so forth in the area. I was afraid that uh, we weren't going to make it tonight, but uh, obviously, as I said, the golfing gods were with us, so I'm, I'm very appreciative and, and grateful for that. And I want to thank both of you as well for, for this copy of the book. It truly is a, a great read. Uh, great information, and I strongly suggest all of the listeners out there uh, to visit the URL. I am going to put it up as soon as we uh, end this broadcast. I'm going to put it up on my social media uh, as well so that people can um, uh, can go and order their uh, their copy tonight uh, or when it's uh, convenient for them. Um, but I want to thank both of you for coming on Golf Talk Live tonight and for sharing this information. Rick, thank you for reaching out to me uh, earlier on and, and uh, expressing an interest to come on and, and share uh, uh, the book that you and Kim have, have uh, put together. I appreciate it very much, and I've enjoyed having you two on uh, on the show. It was a lot of fun. Ted, uh, thanks for having us. And Kim, thanks for making the time tonight. I know your life's busy as well. Well, thank you. And, uh, Ted, thanks for having us, and thanks for what you're doing for golf. I think this is a, uh, a great program, and I think it's going to reach a lot of people. Well, I, I appreciate it. We've uh, had a very vast growing audience over the last several years, and and uh, I, I appreciate the the, uh, the compliments and and uh, I, you know, I, I, as I said to the guys earlier on the, on the panel, you know, one of the reasons I do this program, I mean, there are so many golf mediums. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, I'm not looking to compete with Golf Channel or ESPN Golf. Uh, they have a specific uh, model that they've put together. But you know, really, what I try to do with this program uh, is is to uh, bring not just professionals like yourself, Kim, but uh, people in the golf media as well that uh, have have things that they want to share. Um, uh, you know, and, and uh, I've developed a very vast global audience uh, over the last several years with both of the programs, but particularly with this one here Thursday nights. And uh, I know that the audience enjoys tuning in each and every week and listening to uh, some of the great guests like yourselves coming on the show. So uh, it was my honor and my pleasure to have both of you here, and, and I appreciate it, uh, you giving of your time, uh, Kim and, uh, and Rick as well. And uh, please, anytime Rick or Kim uh, feel free to reach out uh, if you've got something else that you'd like to share with my audience. I'd be more than happy to uh, to set the time aside. Thanks very much. Thank you. All right, you guys have a great evening, and if you're watching, enjoy the Masters this weekend, and uh, thank you for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. Thanks very much. Have a great weekend. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. All right, that was my very special guest, uh, Rick Wolfel and uh, Kim Verecchio the co-authors of So You Want to Play Golf. It, uh, and, and I wasn't kidding, guys. This is a great book. A lot of uh, very useful information. And particularly, as I said uh, earlier on and, and numerous times throughout the program, uh, if you're somebody that's new to golf, this is a great uh, book to pick up because uh, it's certainly not uh, here to uh, – the book is not there uh, for necessarily instructional purposes. Uh, it's not going to help, help you necessarily swing the golf club better but it's going to give you some vital information on what you should be looking for, um, what you should be 
thinking about when you get out in the golf course and a little bit of history about golf in general. So for those of you that maybe aren't that familiar with, um, you know, all of the, the golf jargon, if you will, and some of the, the more common terminology, uh, it's got some of that in there as well. So I strongly uh, suggest that you get yourself a copy. Um, I want to thank again my, my Coach's Corner panel, Pete Buchanan and Bill Abrams, for doing a great job earlier. And I want to thank all of you, uh, the listeners, for faithfully tuning in each and every uh, Thursday uh, to Golf Talk Live. I appreciate it very much and uh, really enjoy, as I've said many times, uh, take a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment of having a number of highly talented coaches, teacher professionals, authors, and entrepreneurs stop by, um, like my guest tonight. And it's really through their participation and guest appearances that help make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. A special thanks to some of the sponsors and supporters of the program, Mr. Jonathan Laird, SouthCoastGolfGuide.com. Uh, get your hot little hands uh, on a copy of, of his guide. It has some great uh, tracks if you want to come down here to the southeastern part of the United States, from Texas right over here to Florida. Uh, all contained in that guide. Go to southcoastgolfguide.com. You'll find more information about that. And if you want to have a copy of the guide sent to you, if you're not down here right now, uh, Jonathan uh, Laird, who is the owner and the uh, editor and publisher of the guide, uh, will certainly make arrangements to get one to you. Uh, Meredith Kirk from Meredith Kirk Golf. And also Nikki and Tiffany Litherland, thank you for all of your continued support. Mr. Bernie Pinder from Ontic Golf. Uh, thank you for your support, Sean Kelly, uh, owner of LinkedGolfers.com, and of course my friend Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions over in Ireland. Um, that's it for this week, guys. Uh, as I said, the golfing gods were with me. I wasn't too sure if we were going to be able to air tonight due to some uh, technical issues, but uh, we managed to pull it off, and uh, I was glad to, to do so. I enjoyed uh, tonight's discussion. Uh, and I will see all of you. Enjoy the Masters this week. Um, really looking forward to uh, to seeing some great golf uh, with the guys this weekend, uh, first major of the year in 2017. And next week, don't forget to join Cindy Miller and I uh, on the Women of Golf show Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. That's 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern on the Women of Golf show here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, we're going to be featuring uh, three executives from the LPGA uh, um organization that are going to be joining Cindy and I for the whole hour next week. So very special show. We're looking forward. Hope you can join us. So go to blogtalkradio.com, type in women of golf, uh, and uh, be sure to join us next Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern uh, Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com network. Thank you, everybody. God bless. And I'll see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks, everybody.